I think the bell means it's time for me. <laughs> you know, I was thinking what Michael has said, you know, I think I've been speaking here for just shy of 40 years and probably almost 40 times uh, over the years, but uh, many of them were in the building down on Hamilton. And uh, I lived through your pains of to sell or not to sell to move, but how beautiful and things that are so wonderful today. The choir is, I think, as beautiful as it's ever been in the church's history. Dave deserves a lot of credit for, uh, for that. Uh, it's just uh, beautiful. I don't remember that in the past. I also liked speaking here better before Amy popped joint. Uh, it's hard to come up after her, and because <laughs> she stole every good idea that I had sketched out for today, and I really now don't know exactly where I'll go from here. So those are there. This is also the first time I've been here since Michael and Diane made their announcement of their impending move to Santa Fe, and I, I share, and maybe even some of my remarks are, are in that. Today we have a theme. It's autumn, and we all have a favorite season. Now, my wife Kathy is sitting in here, and for her, it's spring. You know, the coming, the first warmth after winter, and the budding, and she loves the pastel colors. But I'm a fall guy, okay? <laughs> uh, lots of things. First of all, I love the beautiful of the lowered sun, the angle, the way it illuminates things. It's just a different angle of illumination that we get in other times of the year. I, I just love that. But mostly I'm a walker. I love to go for walks. And if you think about it in the spring, it so often it starts a little shower on us and we can't get out to do that. In the summer with the heat and humidity, not a lot of fun to go for much of a walk. In the winter, the icier surfaces and the needing to be so bundled up, uh, not as difficult. This is so wonderful in the fall. But I'm giving some more thought today about what's this draw that I always have this time of year and what it is that's going on within me as I take those autumn walks. And it starts with those colors, the subdued reds, the kind of faint and fading yellows, the brownish orange. These are moody colors. <laughs> They're not the bright pastels, and, and they are moodier, and I think somehow it is actually that. I put in the title of today's talk, Autumn, and maybe melancholy was a, a little bit of a reach, but brooding, I find myself brooding in the fall, because fall is fraught with this. There's a foreboding, right? The shortening of daylight, the loss of foliage, cold and even bitter temperatures, and we know that we're going to be confined increasingly to interior environments, and so there is a constriction. So a not, I will agree that a not so small part of the joy of an autumn walk isn't saying, gosh, we enjoy this today because this may be the last truly warm day we get this fall, or this may be the last walk we have before we have to go to another level of winter coat, a down coat perhaps next walk, but it's bringing on a sense of the inevitability of loss, the inevitability of decline, the inevitability of longing to prolong something that inevitably can't be prolonged. This happens to be the week that in my survey of world religion class, I'm teaching Buddhism. And in Buddhism, there's a concept 
of a Pratekya Buddha. And a Pratekya Buddha is an individual who has had no formal training. And yet, upon seeing a single falling leaf, apprehends all of existence based on the truth of its impermanence. The core of the Buddha's teachings was something called the Four Noble Truths. And the first of the Four Noble Truths is simply this. Now it's usually translated, life is suffering. Now the word suffering probably connects with what I said earlier about melancholy, but if we probe the Buddha a bit, he meant something slightly, and when it's translated suffering, we're missing something. What he meant was, there is something about life that has that foreboding. It has the sense that we can't prolong everything. That if we're yearning deeply for some place where it's perfect and perfect forever, it isn't there. He said, life has a sense of unfulfillment and emptiness, and that is part of our condition. He said, he knows, of course, that we have moments of triumph, that we have moments of great satisfaction and fulfillment, but then he reminds us, age, it happens to every living being without exception, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, you can do to prevent it from happening to you. There's inevitable impermanence, a Pratekya Buddha, an individual who, upon seeing a single falling leaf, apprehends the whole of existence based on the truth of its impermanence. Now, are these thoughts of aging and decline cheerful? Well, no, of course they're not. And do most of us do what we can, and I have spent most of my life <laughs> diverting our attention from losses and our disappointments, um, things that make life somehow sometimes even tragically incomplete for us? Yeah, I do. But the Buddha's point was simply this, authenticity, personal depth, and finally real serenity can only come when we don't run from this, we don't run from the impending fall, the impending winter, we don't run from impermanence, but we acknowledge and accept them as defining parts of existence. Now, I've come a long way. I started out talking about my favorite time of the year is fall, and all of us have stood at Grandview Drive and so loved the, the panorama of foliage and its brilliance. But always in it is the falling leaf and its impermanence in the sense that winter, as we learned in the, in the TV show Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Okay? There'll be decline and impermanence. But I think it's this that draws me, that is strangely satisfying, that I feel that there's a depth opening up, it's even carving out some interior space. The brooding <laughs> feels somehow strangely good. And in it is an acceptance and a serenity and a wisdom. I don't think that all depression, I don't think that all recognition of impermanence is just a problem that we have to solve. Something that has to be cured. Something that has to be gotten rid of. I think that there's a certain mood and rhythm of brooding in life, pensiveness that does bring, carve out that interior space in which wisdom can reside, in which finally the only reliable serenity can be found. Again, winter is coming. 
there's no fixing it, no changing it, no adjusting it to make it all go away and to find something perfect and permanent. There is no perfect, trouble-free existence in the offing. And this was the Buddha's point. Our only option is to remain patiently in the present and experience it for what it is. Now, all of a sudden, I think about something. Way many decades ago, there was a great reaction to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was one of the first Americans to write about and talk about the one thing we Americans don't talk about, death and dying. And her book swept the nation, and she, in interviewing people, had said they go through a predictable sequence of five stages, and we have all heard these five stages adapted to so many. I go to a website for my favorite football team, and my favorite football team, unfortunately, loses a lot. And so we have to go through these five stages of grief together, and someone leads us. But at first, of course, there's denial. There's anger. There's bargaining depression, and acceptance. But I don't know if you are like me. I keep reading, what are the tips to that acceptance? (laughs) How do I get there? And I find that when people expand upon her five stages of coming to terms with loss, they're always very good at elaborating the denial, elaborating examples of the anger or the bargaining but a little weak on explaining all what this acceptance is about, right? But we know it's not just all of a sudden finding oneself again happy and and, and joyful. It's an outlook, though, that doesn't any longer try to divert our attention away from life's losses, life's melancholy. Acceptance is, at the very least, a stoic recognition of things are what they are, that life has its rhythms, and these rhythms Even as they include times to acquire and times to expand, there are times of retraction. And I think this is then what the Buddha said about learning to be mindful. And nothing like a walk in the fall (laughs) provides an opportunity for mindfulness. Because in mindfulness, the Buddha says, first of all, don't be distracted. Be totally aware. Be fully present but accept life for what it is. And without trying to change it, without trying to adjust it, without trying to make it something that it isn't. But in that we learn to be non-judgmental, to merely acknowledge without us feeling we have to absolutely approve or disapprove, like or not, the ego gets put aside in such a mindful brooding. So my walks in the fall give me this chance to brood, the chance to be mindful. Several times in the past few years, my wife and I have found ourselves having our adult sons call us to help uh, listen to them as they work through some personal or professional challenge, hardship, turbulence that they're going through, and we try to listen, and we hear in their voice the denial. (laughs) We hear in the voice the anger. We hear in their voice the bargaining and the depression. But I can't tell you how many times there's been a moment in that phone call where finally the son says, you know, I guess it just is what it is. And in that moment of saying it just is what it is, there is that step towards, I think, what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross meant by acceptance. Why, what the Buddha meant by being mindful 
to accept without such judgment life's rhythms. It somehow brings a serenity. It brings a sense that I can be deeply connected without always feeling I have to solve, change, adjust. So as fall presents these moments of mindfulness, I think there's opportunity. Because I don't think that acceptance is just resignation. It's also affirmation. With every moment of attending to life, including its rhythms in the fall and the forebodings of inevitable winter, there is a sense of surrendering to something vast, something grander, something pushing forward beyond our lives. And we recognize that in a sense, all of life is miracle. That is, that each and every one of us today woke up and as we opened our eyes, we found ourselves alive and in a universe that we did not create. The universe in all of its rhythms, in all of its moments of expansion and retraction is a gift. It's a grander enterprise and we not only in mindfulness and full acceptance of it, brooding about it, we find ourselves not just resigning ourselves, but affirming. See, I find that in autumn, as I brood and I walk, that as I realize, yes, winter is coming, I find myself in awe. I find myself grateful. And I find myself grateful without the need to try to change, to alter, to evade. And I think this finally is my tip to what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross meant. Acceptance with affirmation not simply resignation. So as we look at the fall today, and as Amy reminded us, we all can get out and rake some leaves perhaps this afternoon. <laughs> After it. I want to challenge all of us to be, for ourselves, a Pratyakya Buddha. Someone who, even without formal Buddhist instruction, can see a single falling leaf and begin to comprehend the totality of existence through its truth of impermanence, but do so not with just with resignation, but in a full acceptance that there is a grand, grander movement of life. Each of us are part of it. We found ourselves this morning opening our eyes to a reality we did not create. It contains those. We have awe for it. We are grateful for it, and we affirm it. And that's what carves out that interior space that brings us serenity and wisdom. Falls a darn good time of the year. <laughs> Thank you.